Oh, boy. You were so much fun last week. Or, like, the week before. The week before. No. No, last week. Well, this episode's last coming week. out. So, oh, yeah. yeah. The so week before. So, you were a lot of fun that week. I was really... I was really tipsy then. I didn't have enough time to prep to get tipsy. To do that next week. Ooh. I'll try. I'll try. It was just very hectic. I can imagine. Yeah, well, this is also my fault because we were supposed to record last night and I wasn't prepared. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. This is kind of on me, so that's my B. Yeah, I... Well, I'm trying to think. I would have been definitely more tipsy because my uh, uncle came over. Ooh. With his fiance, and we had a campfire with just us, and I had a couple drinks. Hey, so <laughs> lucky you! I was listening to my book until ten thirty last night. I'm shocked <laughs> that I didn't have any nightmares. I'm happy for you. Thank you. So, do you want to just jump right into it? I feel like we should just jump right into it because mine's pretty long. Yeah, I don't think I have any updates. I've been well. I've I have a podcast shout out because they're fantastic, and I think oh you would like them. <laughs> So it's called Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them. And they're, they read oh Harry God. Potter fan fiction. It's so good. <laughs> it's You have to listen to them. They're so I'm good. I'm going to be listening to that after we record this. I'm gonna, I'll have to send you an episode to yeah. listen to because they're so funny. I wish we could have that podcast because it's <laughs> so good. We would have so much fun. <laughs> Maybe on the Patreon. That'll be a Patreon exclusive. We'll, we'll read, It'll be um, a Patreon exclusive. We'll read chosen fanfic. We'll read Twilight fanfiction. I'm already emotionally <laughs> traumatized because of those books. I don't need any more of that. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I, I wanted to shout them. I wanted to give a recommendation. I love awesome. that. But also, we keep forgetting, but please rate and review us because So important actually so nice what i was thinking was that maybe on the net while you rate and review us you can recommend some books you want to see us read yes because my I'm, yes. my uh want to read list is dwindling now and i don't have anything coming up so if you guys want to that's really if that's really concerning oh fuck off listen <laughs> i've been hard at work with other shit you don't work. You're unemployed. I have been woodworking my ass off this summer. Yeah, Francesca's turned into Martha Stewart during this quarantine. Hell yeah, I have. Like, I'm actually, like, both of the property brothers combined. So. <laughs> yes! Yes. I'm Martha Stewart minus the cooking and the property brothers in both and height the, like, and horrible humor. So And the felony. And what? And the felony. Yeah, I don't have a felony. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Not that we know of. But I'll let you guys know when that happens. <laughs> oh, boy. So, this week, I feel like I'm yelling because my family's home and I... Francesca didn't tell me the book she's reading this week, so I'm very excited. You should be. Because it was really, really good. I'm scared. So, this week I read, uh, or listened to, I did another audiobook because... Like we mentioned, I'm property brothering it up over here, so I can't True. spend the time sitting down and reading. Like, I have to get shit done. So I listened to American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century by Maureen Callahan. Oh, shit. Do you have the cover? No, I don't. <laughs> nice. I'll, I'll look it up. Yes, Google it. What is it called again? American Predator... 
Maureen Callahan. You can just look that up because the subtitle is really fucking long. Okay. Look at that. American Predator book. Love that. Well, I'm sure half of your Google uh, searches are books, so they probably just tack book onto everything that you Google. <laughs> Put me on blast. Am I wrong? Oh, damn. Yeah. That's a nice cover. I liked, I liked how you can see his eyes across the top. Right. Without giving away who it's about. Sick. I'm excited for this. Surprise, surprise. It's Francesca back during editing to give another trigger warning that was not added when we originally recorded this episode. Please be warned that there is mentions of murder and rape in this episode. I, again, try to be very delicate in my discussion of the topic, but it is unavoidable and I would be doing a disservice to his victims if I did not tell the full story. So if that at all makes you uncomfortable, again, we have plenty of other episodes coming out and some that have already been posted for you guys to check out. I hope you enjoy those, and if you are staying tuned for this one, I hope you enjoy this one. Okay, are you ready? I am ready. So first and foremost, the book is actually dedicated to the families and the victims. So I love I loved that before even going into it that that the book was not taking their deaths or their families' loss for granted. Right. And then she does a Sherlock Holmes quote. Ooh. So the one where it's like, when you get rid of the probable, whatever is most improbable is the result kind of that one. I don't know the quote off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I should probably should have written it down. I love Sherlock Holmes too. So like, I probably should know that quote, but I don't. And then the preface ends with saying the reader has probably never heard of him, but I was like, I've watched every episode of Forensic Files every single episode but okay (laughs) surprise me let's see what you got (laughs) try me the author does note that the book is based on hundreds of hours of research and interviews so any passage where she talks about a person's inner thoughts were actually given directly to the author by that person and some of the case cases fbi interrogations have also been condensed and edited for clarity which i thought was really important for her to note because she does literally verbatim type out some of the interrogation but like obviously she can't type out the whole thing so i thought that was important to note yeah that's pretty that's a pretty good um that's a good point to bring up in a book like this i know obviously my undergrad is in journalism and they don't always put that in there and i feel like people yeah that that is not that's not exactly how the conversation went it was right adjusted to make sense so that it could, it wasn't like right. 10 pages of just back and forth. So I thought that was really important to note. Um, so again, if you're uncomfortable with the topics that may, per- may pertain to murder and assaults, this might not be the episode for you. But we have plenty of other episodes for you to listen to or re-listen to. The book opens in Anchorage, Alaska. And we're talking about six, uh, 18-year-old Samantha Koenig. She's disappeared from her job working alone at a roadside kiosk. And she's only been at the job for a month at this point when she's disappeared. And when I say kiosk, I literally mean, like, you cannot physically walk into this coffee shop. Like, it's literally a window. And, like, it's, like, yeah, nine by nine feet. I'm thinking of, like, a booth, basically. Yeah, it's literally a roadside booth. Like, it's nine, they say in the book, it's nine by nine feet. It's barely off the ground. And it's situated between a relatively busy gym 
and a busy road. So she's not reported missing until the next morning, February 2nd, 2012, by the next employee that comes in after her. Um, and notice, ooh, that was, um, what was that? That was my screwdriver on the floor. If you couldn't tell, I'm, like I said, I'm property brothering it up here. Martha Stewart. Thank you. Yep. I'll take that. Um, so when the other employee comes in, they notice something is missing, like something's off. The kiosk isn't closed properly, which Samantha was always very conscious of doing, was making sure everything was locked up, right? Mm-hmm. And the money from the day before is gone. So, like, she knows something is fishy. Right. So they call the cops and nothing is really... So, like, when they looked at her cell phone records after they called the cops, they look at her phone, her cell phone, and her te- she has a conversations with her boyfriend. Ugh, boyfriends. And she was basically telling him to, like, leave her alone. Ooh. Oh, no. And they were fighting because she was, like, 100% sure, sure he was cheating on her. <gasps> I hate men. Men ain't shit. They really aren't. And so she had also called her dad to drop off dinner at the kiosk. And I was like, I wish my parents would just drop off Aww. food for me while I was at work. I'm like... Must be nice. Must be an Alaska thing. <laughs> Must be an Alaska thing. Um, so those were the two most important people in her life. Were her boyfriend, Dwayne. They were together for almost a year. And then her single father, James. So police, they initially thought she was a runaway. And I was like, that doesn't really add up. Like, why would she ask her dad to bring her food? That makes no sense at all. If she was going to run away. I was like, if I, I was sure shit wouldn't run away if the prospect, prospect of food was in my future. Like, <laughs> I'd wait for the food and then run away. Duh. Detective Monique Dahl was called in to start the investigation into Samantha's disappearance. The captain thought this would be a good case for a novice. And I said, if I found out that the captain had put a novice on my missing daughter's case, I would have raised Lucifer himself from hell. I'd be pissed. It's the detective's first day on homicide. No. No. She had spent four years with narcotics and some time with the DEA. No. No. But it was her first day in that department. (laughs) (sighs) I hate it here. So FBI agent Stephen Payne gets a phone call from a friend at the police department, which is a pretty regular occurrence in Anchorage, because even though Anchorage is a very large city in Alaska, um, it still runs like a relatively small town. So the FBI getting called in isn't necessarily unusual. So he gets called and they find out she shared her pickup truck with her boyfriend, Dwayne. And the night she disappeared, she didn't have it. He did. And then all right, Payne, he's going to be a, a regular fixture in the story. So he f- okay. talks to them about the kiosk and he finds out that the crime scene was never taped off. So the whole crime scene is contaminated. The girl that had called the cops saying she had disappeared ended up serving coffee that morning. Like, are you joking? I can't. I can't. I really can't. So they get the... This uh, surveillance footage from the owner of the kiosk who's eight hours away in some other bumfuck state. So when they review it, they see that, you know, they watch a few hours of her working and then they see that she suddenly turns off the lights. And meanwhile, the camera, the way it's situated, you can only see her. You can't see outside of the kiosk. I hate it here. That's so dumb. So she turns off the lights and the customer she's serving remains out of sight from the camera. And then they see from the way it's angled a gun pointed at her through the window and based on the height, like the aim, like the height of the gun, right. they can tell that the suspect was taller than Samantha. And then you see her taking money from the drawer and then re- like goes to a kneeling position. So he reaches in 
and ties her arms behind her back and then jumps through the window of the kiosk. So they bring in Detective Bell, Jeff Bell. He's worked with APD, Anchorage Police Department, and the FBI. Uh, They note that in both places, he's kind of known as like a metrosexual, but I was like, what the fuck does that have to do with him? Considering he's the most skilled out of the three of them. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Right, exactly. Like, if he does his job well. Yeah, in my notes, I kind of went on a tangent about it, but whatever. So. (laughs) That's why it took you like 20 pages. Well, with my notes, I blew them up to font 24 to be able to read them because Mm -hmm. I have the eyesight of an 89-year-old man. Um, So now it's 73 (laughs) pages, but that's because the font's so big. But anyway. So originally... The department didn't want her disappearance going public. Samantha's father forced their hand two days later. Right. He's handing out flyers. He's telling anyone who was listening to look for Samantha. As he should. So James is a trucker. He's not on the up and up. He's rumored to be involved in drugs, but he's very, very devoted to his daughter. That's so cute. He didn't end up bringing her food that night. Do we know what the dinner was supposed to be? I have no idea, but... Like, if he wasn't planning on bringing her food, why would he tell them what he was going to bring them? True, true. So, after she disappeared, he repeatedly called Samantha, and it would ring and then go to voicemail, and eventually it just went straight to voicemail. And since they talked all the time, he believed that this was the proof that she was taken, which, like, makes sense. But the cops, like, weren't sure, because people go missing in Alaska all the time. That doesn't make it okay. Not even that. That sounds, like, super sketchy. Like, yeah, people just go missing in Alaska yes. all the time. That doesn't sound good for your police department. That I was going to say, that seems like more of a reflection on your the police department than the people in yeah. Alaska. So I knew you were reading Midnight Sun. Yeah. Yes. So as I'm, as I'm listening, I wrote down this quote because I thought you would appreciate it. And oh. it says, Alaska, the land of wait. black moons and midnight suns. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so Maureen is a Twilight fan too? We love that. We find out that Samantha has had problems in the past with her mother and with drugs. She could have easily fallen into the trap of drugs and not graduating high school and just... Right. But she eventually overcame her problems and she was in the middle of her senior year when she disappeared. Dwayne, her boyfriend, had moved in with her and her dad eight months prior to her disappearance. And they've been together for a little over a year. All right. They go on to list things, her dog, her nieces and nephews. She had things and people that she loved and she wouldn't have just disappeared. She would not have just dipped like that. Like it would not have happened. Right. So he was supposed to pick her up the night that she went missing. Her dad? No, her boyfriend. Her boyfriend. Okay. So when he got there, she was already gone. So the police admitted that they didn't know much about her disappearance. So at that point, anyone was a suspect, including the boyfriend and the dad. And they were both interviewed by the police. So, Dwayne said when he got there to pick her up, she was gone. He poked around the kiosk looking for her. And when he a- when they asked him why he didn't, like, actually go inside, he's like, he was- didn't want to trigger an alarm and, like, get caught looking like he was breaking in kind of thing. So, while going through his phone, the cops found that he was flirting with other girls. And Samantha knew and was, like, really mad at him about it. Oh, great. What a guy. At 11 o'clock the night that she disappeared, she texted Dwayne telling him she knew what he did and was going to spend a few nights with friends to think about it and to tell her dad. So Dwayne went home and waited for her to come back. So around 3 a.m., for whatever reason, he went outside and saw a man going through his and Samantha's pickup truck. They kind of had like a stare down moment 
And then the guy walked away and he went inside and told James. He went outside an hour later and searched to see if anything was missing from the car and noticed that Samantha's driver's license was missing because she'd always kept it in the visor above the driver's seat and it was Uh gone. So he went inside and fell asleep. What? Like a stellar boyfriend. Yeah. He's a shit person. So cops were surprised that James nor Dwayne chased the guy down the street. They also found it hard to believe that if she was abducted, that the guy would knew where she lived, which car was hers, and where she kept her license. Mm -hmm. If she was kidnapped, couldn't the guy just fucking ask her? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, actually. That's literally what I was thinking. But the cops asked why Dwayne didn't report her missing. And he said that he didn't think the cops would do anything until she was forty missing for 48 hours. And that's the same thing her father said in his previous interview. Right. So it's like, clearly they've watched some crime TV. Right. So the cops show up at their house to see how they'd act caught off guard because they're all, the cops are all like sus, suspect of them, like sus, suspect they were involved. And James doesn't let them into the house. Like when he opens the door, he like slides through between the door frame and the cops and he's like, what's, what's up? What are you doing here? Oh, Lord. The cops are like, why? And it was like, because he probably has <laughs> drugs in there. Like, they literally said he has drugs. Yeah. Like, he has involvement with drugs. Like, obviously, that's what's in there. So, the media all wanted to interview James. Like, every like it went national, her disappearance. And it was like, it's not right. a book about a serial killer if Nancy Grace isn't mentioned at least once. <laughs> yeah, true. And she was. She was. Love that. So, they checked, like, any flight logs any boat manifests, anything. And her name, no, like anything going out of Alaska. And her name wasn't on anything. Bell, Detective Bell. So Bell and Payne are going to be two big players in this, like the, throughout the book. Okay. And so okay. Bell is beginning to suspect that Samantha set up the whole thing. And the only logical explanation is that Samantha staged the abduction and the man that took her is someone she knew. That's the logical explanation? That's what he thinks. Typical man. So I put in, I literally wrote checkpoint. So Dahl, the original investigator that was brought on, right? Right. She believes that James was involved. Payne firmly believes she was actually abducted. And Belle thinks she staged it. So those are the three big people at this point. Oh, Lord. So the detectives arrest around like 50 people. They're mostly confidential informants to find out what they might have heard about the case. You'll appreciate this part. So some people said Hell's Angels were involved the, the gang as payback for something james might have done or the russian mafia yes yes for the same reason yes oh my gosh those darn <laughs> russian mafia people i i, I explicitly <sighs> wrote or dot 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 waiting for your reaction <laughs> oh my gosh or maybe it was the vampires i'm gonna put that I mean, out there Okay, we can't, like, make jokes because this is really sad, but, like... Okay, so Samantha had been dealing drugs, and they think she might have owned... She might have been stealing from suppliers that she owed drug money to and was being held for ransom. Someone also claimed that she stole five grand from James and that their relationship wasn't, like, as perfect as they tried to make it out to be. So she was abducted on February 1st, okay? And at this point, the reward fund is up to $60,000. Holy shit. Every time a date comes up, I'm going to remind you what day she was kidnapped. Yeah, please do. So she was kidnapped on February 1st. On February 26th, 25 days after she was kidnapped, James gets a text from Samantha's phone. Now, I don't know if I wrote this down right, (laughs) looking back at it now, but it says, Connor's Bob Park, ain't she pretty? Something like that. 
So I don't know if that was actually the text she got or if I had been drinking when I took these notes. I don't know. (laughs) So they tell the cops and James and Dwayne rush to the park and get there literally 15 minutes before the cops. And I was like, you guys have sirens and you still couldn't get there before them? Step up. So they end up finding a ransom note tacked to a bulletin board and and included a black and white Polaroid of Samantha with a newspaper in the background of the picture, but the date of February 15th. So 14 days after she was kidnapped. Right. So then it's also noted that in the picture she had on eyeliner and her hair was braided, but in the surveillance footage from the night that she was kidnapped, her hair was down. So it's kind of sketchy. Right. So the note mentions Dwayne's debit card that Samantha had and makes reference to her possibly being in one of the lower 48, which is what they refer to like the rest of the United States. Right. Is the lower 48. Right. So it seemed like she might have been kept in the desert because they make reference to her almost escaping twice once on a street and the other time in the desert so he wants thirty thousand dollars deposited into Dwayne and samantha's account and if it's not and if it is done samantha would be free in six months so the cops are like why would they only ask for thirty thousand dollars if it's public knowledge that the reward fund is up to 60 right so the ransom note was riddled with typos and misspellings like could be intentional or a killer is just super dyslexic and if he is we don't claim him (laughs) oh man there's no references to samantha or knowing anything about her or the investigation in the note but because of the note the case was officially made a made a kidnapping which made it federal so pain is brought in and put in charge of the case Oh boy. The one that actually believed right. she wasn't kidnapped, right. right? And he puts together a crack team. I don't know why I wrote that down. <laughs> Two more people get added to the mix. So Jolene Gooden, she has 10 plus years of experience working in child homicide with rape and victims and rapists. And Kat Nelson, she, I literally wrote, she loves digital shit, cell phone records, tax returns, property records. She loves reading those. Yeah, apparently, damn. So the two of them get added to the team. And on the team are included Doll and Belle. So the FBI profilers are brought in and Belle doesn't trust them and thinks they're one step above psychics. Oh my gosh. Trying. What the fuck? So they oh, all. What the fuck? <laughs> that was just a thought I wrote down. Like the, in the book that he's like, he says that and I just thought it was funny. So I wrote it down. So trying to decide if she's alive in the photo. Dahl, Gooden, and Nelson, the three women I'd like to point out. The three women all believe she was alive. Belle thought she was dead, but Payne wasn't sure. So they were trying to juggle how they respond to the ransom note. Right. Some investigators suggested closing the bank account and telling the abductor they wanted to do an in-person exchange the money for Samantha. Right. Payne is shocked by the level of stupidity of his colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I wrote. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm going to point out a lot of my notes are directly from the book right either rewordings or things like that but pain is shocked by the level of his stupidity of his colleagues was my brainchild okay (laughs) let's be real about that you can tell the difference between what i was thinking and what was actually came from the book but anyway so pain wanted to keep the card open to track who was ever using it doll believed they already knew who had it as the card was used more than once on the night she was abducted aka they thought it was james she thought it was james i should say James didn't want to deposit the money for fear that the person would take it and run. And he wasn't even sure if Samantha was still alive at this point. Doll took that as he fucking did it, basically. That was like her reasoning for thinking he did it. So he posts a plea for money for a reward fund 24 hours after she went missing. He was spending some of the money from the reward fund on himself. 
and didn't deny it like in the media they called him out on that and he was like well i have to keep my house running like i'm spending all of my time looking for my daughter and i was like okay that's kind of fair like Uh, okay yeah i guess so so a search warrant was executed on their house and they found a huge marijuana plant (laughs) like just a fuck ton in their house that was obviously for a legal sale and i was like no wonder they didn't let you into the house last time you tried to get in like they had fucking a lot of marijuana so five days after they found the ransom note James called the cops and told them that he would deposit only five grand of the reward money because the FBI told him not to put all 30 in an attempt to frustrate whoever was making the demand so that they would make contact again. Right. So a detective with APD was tasked with tracking the card and they saw they watched the 5k be deposited into the account. Four hours later, they watched someone attempt to withdraw cash from an ATM in Anchorage. The attempt failed because it was they tried to take $600 out and the ATM's limit was 500 Right. So Dull th- thinks this, like, bolsters her theory because James and Dwayne were the only, t- only ones that knew of the plan. And then for someone to immediately try and take the money. Right. She thinks it's really sus. Someone that runs an all-cash business wouldn't know that the ATM has a limit like that. So Godin, Nelson, and even Payne are starting to lean towards Dull's theory. And that's the kind of business that James runs is an all-cash business. Right. So then they, the person makes a successful withdrawal Some a few hours later taking out 500 Back-to-back withdrawals four minutes before midnight and then for like a little while after midnight making out with $1,000. So the locations of the ATMs uh, suggested that the person knew Anchorage very well. And one of the ATMs actually had a security camera, but it would take a day for, to get it to the cops, which doesn't make sense to me, but okay. Yeah, I guess. Whatever. So, James is now suspect number one, and Dahl is flying high. And I'd like to point out, for the record, I still don't buy it at this point. Right. So, Lieutenant Parker, or as I call him, Lieutenant Dum Dum, <laughs> announces to the press that they're making progress day by day on the case, which is not true. And that Samantha is alive. Super not true because the cops don't know if she is. Great. Love that. Yeah. Everyone on the team is like clocking really long days, like 18, 19, 20 hour days. Yikes. But they'd go home and dig further and use fucking Google to like. Oh my tr- lord. Yeah. So at this, at this point, she's been missing for 29 days. So it took two days to get the security camera footage from the ATM to Quantico. Right. Where a uh, video analysis took the shitty quality footage and tried to figure out what the assailant was wearing. He had to determine if the video was altered, how much of it he could blow up without distorting the image. And he had to use photogrammetry. I wrote that word down because I didn't know what the fuck it meant. Photogrammetry to try and figure out how tall the assailant was. Despite the layers of clothing the guy was wearing, like despite like his sweatshirt and his jacket and everything, he had an athletic frame, some light paint splatter, and then I wrote blood? Question mark? Slenderman? (laughs) (laughs) On his left chest. And the white lettering on the back of his jacket seemed to spell out C-O-R-P-S corpse and he was wearing clear or light colored glasses and a gray face mask gray gloves dark pants and light or white shoes so bell got the images from pain and felt the suspect could possibly be a marine or active or otherwise retired the people of anchorage were about to fucking revolt oh no they didn't think the apd was handling the case properly which they weren't (laughs) so it took the cops three weeks so she disappeared again february 1st on February 20th, after she went missing, it took them three weeks to get 
them to request the footage from the Home Depot across the street from the kiosk of the night that Samantha went missing. It took them three weeks to do that. What the fuck? That's ridiculous. They got the footage the same day that the ransom was posted. The incompetency is just so strong in this case. So at 7.45 p.m., a white Chevy pickup truck pulls into the Home Depot parking lot. Payne knows it's a Chevy because the number of letters on the back of the truck is the longest American name. Right. And I was like, okay, who the fuck knows that? Yeah, who the fuck knows that? There were no plates on the car and it was sat facing the kiosk for at least 10 minutes before he got out and left the view of the camera. Right. 20 minutes later, he reemerged walking with Samantha, his arm around her shoulder. People walked past and didn't think about anything of it. So the light of the crosswalk changed and she tried to escape. Like they see she tried to run. What the fuck? And it was like clear she was in a panic. Right. He tackles her and walks her up to the pickup truck, waits while other people are at their car, just like dawdling at their car. He waits with her. She doesn't try to yell for help. And he pulls in, puts her in the car and drives off. And I said, nah, you ain't getting me to no secondary location. <laughs> now with so much time loss, they have to find a Chevy pickup truck, which is directly from the book. No problem, Payne thought. It's only the most popular car in Alaska. It's like, oh, Homie's got jokes now. (laughs) It's now March 7th. So she was kidnapped February 1st. So it's about a month and a a week. 10.30 p.m. Payne gets a call that there's been an ATM withdrawal in one of the lower 48. So in Wilcox, Arizona, a $400 withdrawal is made. So Payne immediately calls the Arizona FBI. Within an hour, they're on the scene collecting evidence. Because of the amount of time it would take for the footage to get to Alaska and then to Quantico, the agent on scene of, like, the security camera um, just took screenshots of the surveillance video and sent them to Payne. So he looked like the guy in the original security camera footage in Anchorage. He wore bulky clothes to disguise his frame, sunglasses, tennis shoes, that sort of thing. So another ping goes off in Lawrenceburg. New Mexico, and it's like about an hour from Wilcox, trying to draw withdraw another five hundred dollars, but it hit its daily limit of five hundred dollars. Right. And so they can tell that the suspect is heading east on I ten. I was getting intense. Yeah, and this is only chapter five. Holy shit! Yeah, I took thorough notes. So the pain things that they're native Alaskan. Because they have to be thrown off by the regional time differences if they're trying to withdraw that much, like, their daily limit back-to-back like that. Right. So, it was 2.24 in New Mexico, but in 11, it was only 11.24 in Anchorage. And Samantha's card was working on Alaskan time, so if he withdrew that, like, back-to-back, it wouldn't have worked. Right. So they suspect who was ever using the card would continue east on I-10. Right. They didn't think he was driving the Chevy and believed he was probably driving a rental. So they put out a bolo. At 2.30 a.m., the card pinged again at the same ATM for a balance inquiry. Right. Another 80 came out of the account, already getting close to the daily limit of 500. So they all knew that the ATM card was going to be how they caught him. And they all started getting, like, super excited, which, same. I was getting, like, hyped listening to this. So they also knew... That it was going to be virtually impossible to work with the small town police departments um, right. because they were going to have to start waking them up in the middle of the night and have them start patrolling I-10 was just like not going to happen. Right. They just had a hope that the other FBI agents wouldn't fuck it up. Yikes. It switches. So it switches to a Texas Ranger named Steve Rayburn and he saw the bolo 
on Monday, March 12th at 6.30 a.m. Hey, that's my brother's birthday. Really? That's yep. four days after my dad's birthday. We love that. <laughs> Remember, she was kidnapped on February 1st. February 1st. So this is like over a month after she's kidnapped. Right. Rayburn has, gets contacted by a supervisor to let him know he's assisting in the FBI locating the suspect. And right. Rayburn was like, well, this is the first time I'm fucking hearing about this, but sure. So after getting in contact with the FBI in El Paso, or not in El Paso, sorry, in Texas in general. Right. He had found out that they identified the vehicle mm-hmm. in the surveillance video taken at the ATM in Shepherd, Texas. So it was a white Ford Focus, the most commonly of rented course. car in America. You literally. Rayburn writes his own Texas Ranger memo. So, and he includes that James and Dwayne are no longer suspects. And I was like, well, that's the first time hearing of this. <laughs> so another Texas Ranger, Brian Henry, is given a copy. And these names, I only wrote down the names of the relevant people. So these people, uh, Henry and Rayburn are relevant. Right. I'm not even kidding. Payne calls the bank manager in Humble, Texas. They refuse to get up in the middle of the night to check the bank security camera after the debit card pinged at the bank. Bruh. Are you kidding? And I was like, literally, what the fuck is wrong with people? Fuck that. What the fuck? L- literally. So Rayburn gets a call from Henry that they spotted a four focus at a motel right off of I-10. So he starts having the car, Rayburn has the car surveilled and they see that he's packing his right. car and they know that he's planning to leave. So they send Henry out onto I-10 to watch the car and find any reason to pull it over. Literally any reason. And this was my favorite part. So he's sitting behind like two cars behind the Ford Focus at a red light and the light changes yeah. and the Focus takes off at 57 miles per hour and it's two miles over the speed limits. <laughs> and those cops were on him like white on rice. <laughs> they were ready. <laughs> what? That was horrible. So when the cops asked him where he's from, the guy literally says Alaska like a dumb motherfucker. <laughs> oh my, what a dumbass. You may as well just give him your confession right there. Just based off of like random serial killers, who do you think this is? I don't know. Okay, well, they get his license and his name is Israel Keys. Does that name mean anything to you? This dumbass mother. <laughs> I can't. You don't no. know anything about him? I hate it. I hate or it. Or you know. Okay. No, I do. I do. I hate it here. I, I wrote it. She said at the top of the book, the, the serial killer no one's ever heard of. Honey, we've heard of him. If this isn't from a crime show. It's definitely on My Favorite Murder. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Key said he was in town in Wells, Texas for his sister's wedding. The cops like note that he's giving away way too much unsolicited information, which means he's probably <laughs> lying. <laughs> I love it. You have to make it specific. So from the outside of the car, they can see white tennis shoes under the passenger seat. They see a wad of cash with a uh, red dye on it and maps with certain location mark. Right. So Texas has a law that if they suspect a vehicle has been used in a crime, they can search it. And it doesn't matter if they see anything. I Like if they don't see any guns that's or weed in the car, but they suspect the car. That's a suspicious law, but okay. Yeah, but it's Texas. So the FBI agent involved, Rayburn and uh, Henry, calls Payne and tells them they got him. Right. And they have enough evidence to bring him in. So they photograph everything in the car. So some of the things, I took out some things that weren't important necessarily. So in the car, there are money rolls and separate rolls of fives and $10 bills. There was a kid's school photo, white sneakers, and ATM receipts. No. In the trunk, they find a photo album of pornographic images of black women, trans women, porn movies, alcohol bottles, a laptop, a cell phone, a handgun. And the cell phone's like dismantled. It's like taken apart. 
A right. handgun and a black ski mask. Now that Keyes was under arrest, they could search his wallet. Inside of his wallet, get, what do you think they find? Are there pictures of her? They find her driver's license. Samantha's driver's license. What a dumb ass bitch. <laughs> you are such a bad serial killer. Well, just wait. So Bell and Dahl run Keyes' record and he had none, which was unusual for the crime he was arrested for. And he lived in a very well-off area of Anchorage, which also was unusual. They executed a search warrant for his house in Anchorage, hoping Samantha would be was being kept there and right. is still alive. And when they pull up to the front of the house, they find a white Chevy pickup truck in the front. Getting ready for <laughs> fucking bed, lying down in her bed across from me. I can't. So they interview with his girlfriend, Kimberly, and she insists she has n- no idea that it happened. She insists that he didn't do it. Oh, sweetie, you got a storm coming. The day after Samantha was kidnapped, Keyes and his daughter, they all went on a two-week cruise. It wasn't possible uh, for it to happen. So Rayburn and the FBI look inside the wallet, which also has the debit card with the pin number scratched into the front of it. So Dahl and Bell fly down to Houston and Dahl takes the lead on interrogating him and shows him the ransom note. This is where we kind of meet Heidi Keyes, which is Israel's mom. And she's waiting outside of the courthouse after his arraignment, and when Bell asks for her to talk to him, she legit says no. And I wrote down what she says to him. Yeah. If God wants that girl to be found, she'll be found. Is this a... What? What? That is disgusting. Yeah. What the fuck? So it takes two weeks for Keys to get extradited to Alaska. The FBI did everything they could to learn as much about him as they could. The FBI in Texas (laughs) interviews Heidi Keys, and they find out that she had recently moved to texas or wells with her daughters after being convinced to join a church congregation by a street preacher lol okay while interrogating heidi she does admit something odd happened first one of the sisters begged him to accept the lord into his life and instead of being contemptuous he started crying because he's usually very like anti-christ and all that and he said to his he literally said to his sister you don't know the things i've done i don't like that no he and his daughter flew into Texas after their cruise and was staying with them for like a week after the cruise or right. whatever. So the the cruise was five days and then they were in Texas for another week. And the mom admits that he had really odd behavior after the cruise. So like what happened was he left because he wanted to go bury his guns and then disappeared for like three days. And they what? found him in a mall parking lot, like very disoriented, very confused, whatever. So we'll get into like what happened there later. But Heidi also admits the way that they traveled to Wells was also very unusual. They first flew to Seattle, then to Vegas, and then drove the rest of the way to Texas. And he said that that was, like, the cheapest option for them to get there. Because his sister was getting married. He was was being honest when he said his sister was getting married. Um, And it was, like, a kind of, like, a shotgun wedding. Like, very happened very quickly. Right. So, Keyes tells detectives he wants to talk. But he wants the death penalty off the table and he wants his name kept out of the media so his daughter doesn't find out. Okay, sure. On his computer, they found information on, like, from the media on the actual interrogation as it was happening. And I was like, always search in incognito, folks. Come on. And he actually posted comments on articles with his real name about her disappearance. Is, uh, okay. Okay. So they had kind of a plan going into interrogating him. They were going to do it at the FBI headquarters where it was the most secure location and all this. But then 
that kind of got all trampled on by the federal prosecutor Kevin Feldis. I refuse to. I refuse to call this guy by his name. So for the rest of this, he's going to be known as the prosecutor um, because he's like, I'm taking the lead on this interrogation. You'll be back up if you're needed. And I literally wrote, fuck this guy. (laughs) So they decide to do it at the U.S. attorney's office, which is not wired for audio visual recordings. It doesn't have the same level of security. AKA this is a next level bad idea. Like don't do it there. Right. And, being that the prosecutor was leading the interrogation was also really bad legally because the prosecutor can't lie to a suspect the same way a detective can, where you can be like, well, we can talk to the prosecutor and, like, work that out. Like, the prosecutor's right there. You can just ask him. Like, it just... Right. And then because they're interrogating him, the prosecutor can literally be called as a witness. What the fuck? Just so much could be going wrong. Like... Yeah, that just sounds like a bad idea. What the fuck? So, March 30th, over almost a month, two months after um, Samantha's disappearance, because she was kidnapped again on February 1st, this is March 30th, the interrogation begins. He gives his story, uh, Israel gives his story, and he says shortly after 7 p.m. on February 1st, he pulled out of his driveway and drove to the Home Depot on Tudor Road. He had done it several times over the last few days, curious about the comings and goings on the Common Grounds kiosk. Also, side note, I'm going to try and be very faithful to what he says, just so it's the most accurate information. Right. So he decides to rob it, even though it was on a busy main road. It was obscured by high snow drifts at the time. So, like, he wasn't going to be able, they weren't going to be able to see anything. Right. So he waited till it was close to closing when there'd be little snow customers. He took from his car his coffee mug, a pair of plastic zip ties, his headlamp, his revolver, and a tiny police scanner in his ear. So all I can think was, thank God she didn't call the cops when he kidnapped her. Because there was a little, like, button in the kiosk for her to press if there was issues. And she didn't press it. Right. So it's like, and he would have heard it in his ear if she had. So thank God that she didn't. That's all I had to say. So he said that he had never met or seen Samantha Koenig prior to kidnapping. Right. He only went to that kiosk because they were open late. That was the only reason he went there. They haven't found her yet, Not at this point, no. Okay. So... Before he continued, he wanted to see the evidence. He wanted to see the pictures on the raid of his home, even though they didn't have a lot of pictures from it. That was usually when they would pretend that they had more information than they did. But obviously, the dumb prosecutor didn't know that. Of course. So This guy, I can't stand him already. So he ends up telling the story backwards. And he said that he was at... Now, I wrote this phonetically because it is next level hard for my dyslexic brain to handle so matakuska i think i said it right state park um he had been ice fishing there in late february yes the prosecutor is like fucking this up like it's based off the assumption that he's like tripping over his words and like clearly by what he's saying he isn't trained in like interrogations like it's just all fucked up Right. So he explains that he made several trips back and forth to his truck while ice fishing over the course of several days. He's legit telling the story backwards. Right. Jesus H. That's what I wrote in my notes. Oh, Lord. So the first day was the head, the arms, and the legs. He tells investigators where to look at his house for the tools he used to move Samantha's body, including where in the shed there would be blood. His ice fishing shed... It was his ice fishing shed, not the one in his backyard. Mm -hmm. 
So Keyes thinks that the FBI would have found her body because the that was the only lake he printed out directions to. And Payne literally mm-hmm. says in the book, not a chance. There's no way they would have found it <laughs> if he hadn't t- told her. Eh. That's awesome. So he feels, so Keyes feels like invincible as he's like robbing this kiosk and he decides to take her. And so when he jumps into the kiosk, he puts napkins in her mouth. And that's why in the footage, you don't see her trying to scream because she physically can't. Yeah. Right. So they note that while the way he's telling the story, he's kind of minimizing what he did. You know, he helped her into the truck. He didn't push her. He put the seatbelt on her. He didn't strap her in. Right. And then you find out as they're driving away, she's, you know, hands behind her back, like terrified. A fucking police car pulled up next to Samantha's side of the car. And this was oh after this was after she the first attempt at escape and he like whispered in her ear like if you try anything again, I'm going to fucking kill you. Like Right. Um right. so she had several opportunities to escape, but she was so paralyzed by her own fear that she didn't. Right. So he decides against getting a burner phone. And goes back to the kiosk and gets Samantha's phone. He picks up around the shop to make it look like she had left and took her car keys. So it looked like she hadn't, like she had just dipped. Like she had left right. the night. Right. So nobody at the police department or the FBI watched the security footage all the way through to know that without a doubt she was kidnapped. Oh my gosh. These people. I don't like it. Throughout his story, Keys mentioned six different opportunities for witnesses like there was different times when someone could have seen something and they didn't just sit, like say anything. What the so, fuck? So he also says that Kimberly, his girlfriend, didn't hear him moving around outside. And he also went to Samantha's truck and took her license and debit card. So basically over the course of all this happening, by the time he actually gets home with everything and had Samantha in the shed, he had only an hour before he had to leave in a cab for the cruise with his daughter. Right. So, in the ransom photo, he admits that she's dead. She was not alive when he came back from the cruise, and she was not alive when he left. That's literally how he puts it, because the detectives ask him, like, direct questions. He doesn't just say she was dead. So, he says that he will only tell the story of what he did to Samantha to Detective Dahl, and he admits to kidnapping and killing her, but won't say anything else unless it's to Detective Dahl. So, he also demands that Kimberly's house search stop, (laughs) that she doesn't know anything, and he says the only per- he's the only person that knows the real him and that he's been two people two different people for the past 14 years. Oh my lord. So Detective Dahl joins the interrogation, but obviously the stupid prosecutor takes the lead. Tells the oh investigator. My gosh. So he tells the investigators, Keys tells the investigators he's going to tell an abridged version because there are too many people in the room. He specifically right. said just Dahl and the prosecutor puts up a fight about leaving the room. So they found when is they the prosecutor st- a man. Yes, I said his name is Kevin Feldis. Just wait. So they find books about serial killers in Keys' house. What a shock! And Bell uh, and Doll kind of plays up the sweet and innocent side to try and get him more comfortable. Bell uses one of Keys' verbal tics. He says, "Like I said, a lot in when he's talking." Right. So she uses it back to him as kind of like a mental psychological trust building thing. He is adamant that a blow-by-blow account won't happen unless there are fewer people in the room. Obviously, the prosecutor refuses to leave. Right. He had previously prepped the shed without an intended victim. He just knew someone would end up there. Oh, okay. And as he's tying her up more securely, he realizes that she realizes she's not getting out of there alive. He sexually assaults her twice and then strangles her. He tries... 
He stabs her in the shoulder once, but that it's not deep and won't elaborate on why he did it. And that the weather was cold enough that he didn't have to worry about, like, her body decomposing or anything like that. Right. And he was not worried about getting caught because it was Anchorage. Oh, my God. There would be no tire tracks, no DNA, no footprints. By the time anything anyone would realize something was wrong, all the leads would be gone, like, cold. Oh, my Lord. So that just makes the APD look dumb as fuck. Yeah, I'll say. Fuck. So James so he basically kills her hours after he kidnaps her. Yeah. The same okay, night that he just kills her. Yeah. Sure. Right. So James knows that the FBI has someone in custody, but doesn't know Samantha is dead. And he posts oh. on Facebook begging people to look for her. Still. Oh Lord. That's so sad. Her body was left in that shed for two weeks while he traveled with his daughter. Oh my lord. So after his daughter went to school on February twenty first, twenty days after she had been kidnapped. He dismantled the fishing shed. He mm-hmm. rolled her onto another tarp because the sleeping bag she was in was soaked in blood, which is contradictory to his original statement that the stab wound wasn't that deep. Deep, right. So his daughter went to bed that night and he started a fire in the living room, fireplace to get rid of evidence. Uh-huh. He claims the next part of the story is an abridged version because there are so many people in the room. Mm-hmm. He thaws out her body because it's so cold and... He violates the corpse. Oh, my gosh. He reluctantly admits because of how many people are in the room. So the next step was the ransom note. He picked the the 13th newspaper because he wasn't in Anchorage on that day. So she had been dead for approximately 21 days at the time the ransom photo was taken. Oh, Lord. He said he didn't know that his movements could be tracked using the ATM card. And I was like, LMFAO, dumbass. (laughs) said the reason... He said in the ransom note that she escaped in the desert was because he wanted to convince the investigators that she had been sold as a sex slave in New Mexico since it was about 10 days after her abduction and that's how long it would take to drive there and come back. Oh, okay. Sure. So at this point, like, his relationship with Kimberly was starting to fall apart and he was increasingly drinking more and she wasn't a fan of kids. So he was going to take his daughter and (laughs) (laughs) relocate... He was going to take his daughter and relocate somewhere in the lower 48... His focus was to get Samantha out of the shed first. So he made three separate trips over three days to dispose of the body. Oh, fun. On the second day he disposed of the body, he went to a fucking parent-teacher conference. After. What the fuck? Yeah. And after he finished disposing of the body on the final day, he went ice fishing. I hate it here. I hate it. What the fuck? That's just so fucked up. On April 2nd... About two months after she disappeared, they got the pro- they got the divers in the lake, and her body was eventually recovered from that. Right. So they started getting a bunch of cell phone tips from people speaking very highly of Keys, and that they find his arrest hard to believe. Some say it was sure. the church that his mom was a part of, that it she, his mom belongs to a cult that are all Koreshians, which if you know what, who David Koresh is, that's what makes... That sense? Oh. Yeah. Oh. So, while they were investigating Kimberly's laptop, Nelson found dozens of pictures of other missing people, including Samantha Koenig. And there were so many pictures of Samantha, it looked like he was stalking her. Oh my gosh. So, they tell Keys that they believe he might have done this before, and he tells them they're right, and they'll never find another body without him. I hate it. I don't... I hate people. I hate them. I hate it. The prosecutor pisses off Keys. What a shock. And That's Keys no, yeah. 
tells them he's only going to give them to only going to give them information to a point he knows they'll eventually connect. Oh my! Unless okay. he gives them, unless they get, he gets what he wants. So he wants an execution date within the year, which is contradictory to his point of when he was first arrested. He said he didn't want the death penalty. Yeah. Okay. What the fuck? So after back and forth, he agrees to give them two bodies and a name. He gives them Burlington, Vermont. Gooden and Nelson find the name Bill and Lorraine Courier after Googling missing couple in Vermont. The prosecutor gets gets the picture of the two of them and shows it to Keyes, who admits to killing them. He had never met them before and never had run into them. So on June 2nd, 2011, so this is a, almost a year before Samantha, mm-hmm. he took a flight to Seattle, then to Chicago, and then rented a car to drive to Maine to visit his brother's. But he stopped in Indiana and in upstate New York to visit his farmhouse there. Oh, love that. (laughs) He checked into his hotel in Essex, Vermont, saying he had never been there before. And they can tell he's physically excited by telling this part of the story. (laughs) Um, So the investigators could tell that he was telling the truth. Right. The supplies he carried with him, some of them he had brought. So, and some he had just bought at Lowe's. And others he had dug up from a spot he had left there. Five years earlier, two years earlier, excuse me. A couple years back, he had bought a five-gallon jug from Home Depot and filled it with zip ties, ammunition, guns, silencers, duct tape. I've heard this part. And he buried it there and had others buried all over the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he found the couriers in their house. It looked like an older couple there. He also scoped out the backyard and determined there are no children that live there. And he has a rule that he doesn't kill kids or dogs. Okay. Wow. Morals? I don't know. Yeah, literally. All right. Oh, I'm going to kill people. I'm going to kill people, just not kids and dogs. That's where I draw my line. They all The cops don't think that that moral code isn't true based on, like, who other people, who they think he might have also attacked kind of thing. Right. And got into the house. He zip-tied them. He uh, did admit that his motive with the couriers was entirely sexual. He took their ATM card and scratched the PIN number into the front. Uh, Lorraine tries to get free at one point, And he... Well, an icon. Yeah. She... He, like, smacks her head into the bedpost. And is like, don't try that again. And going through their stuff, he finds... Keyes finds out that him and Bill Courier saved in the, served in the same unit. For the United States Army. I hate it. What the fuck? He puts them in their own car and drives them to an abandoned farmhouse. Um, and he doesn't leave any fingerprints or DNA behind. That he's very, And he's, like, very proud of that fact. So he tells them that his... He was kidnapping them for ransom. Just like he said to Samantha... He had said that to Ma- Samantha, too. Uh-huh. So when he got the ca- couple out of the car, he takes Lorraine into the house... Uh, not Lorraine. Bill into the house. And puts them in the mm-hmm. basement. And when he comes back, Lorraine makes another break for the road. An icon. What a woman. They're in their, like, mid-50s, too. Like, give or take. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Even more of an icon. Keys tackles her and gets her inside. Gets her upstairs to the bed and... Oh, I hate it. Puts Bill in the basement and ties him up. And he also notes that Lorraine fought the entire time that he was trying to tie her down. So he grabs his gun and goes to the basement Bill fights back hard, which, like, surprises Keyes and also angers him. He shoots Bill in the arms, the head, the neck, and the chest. 
what the fuck? And before he dies, Bill, like, remains standing for a moment, which, like, is very, like, unnerves Keys a lot before he falls yeah. to the ground. Keys gags. I would have tried to fall on him. That would have been my yeah. plan. <laughs> so Keys gags Lorraine and sexually assaults her twice. Oh. And uses a condom both times. And she fought back as much as she could, is what he said. He also choked Lorraine during the second assault uh, until she lost consciousness. Afterward, he brought her down to the basement and showed her husband's body. And that's where he strangled her with rope. Oh, my gosh. He said that this couple was tougher than he expected, which, like, is, I think, amazing on their part. He poured Drano over their hands and faces to speed up the decomposition time. Oh, my Lord. And he takes their car and abandons it, going back to his own car at the hotel. He then left the state, going up to Maine to see his brothers. The whole ordeal lasted six hours. Oh, my fucking... Holy shit. That's insane. So the couple told Keys they only had $100 in their account, and, believe, and Keys believed it, and didn't think it was worth the risk. Which, again, is contradictory, because this was an admission that Keys knew that he could be tracked with their ATM card. Right. So he drove to New Hampshire and burned their belongings at a campsite, and a witness did come forward saying they saw a white man with long brown hair driving the courier's car, but he wasn't worried because he saw the police sketch and it looked nothing like him. Oh, great. They now transition to alto texas and he, they find out he robbed a bank there mm-hmm. and he also admits to burning down a house oh fun and gives the location in exchange for a cigar what the fuck okay freak he felt so empowered by robbing the bank that that's when he started commenting under his real name on the articles about samantha oh my lord he wasn't originally planning to do anything in texas but checking the news about samantha got him so amped up and he decided he wanted to take someone but he didn't he started a house fire to distract a cop so he could hit the bank. And they discovered on a piece of paper in Kimberly's house the different, like, different phone numbers on it. And they come to find out that it's police radio frequencies. Oh, great. And he claims he had planned his escape routes ahead of time. Bell firmly oh, believes God. Keys killed in Texas, but he doesn't admit to anyone. At this point, they introduced Jimmy Tidwell, who disappeared uh-huh. on February 15th. He was last seen in Longview, Texas. Of when? Of 2012, like, within the same week okay. that Samantha was taken. okay. Reward money is offered, but Jimmy was never found. So they think that he might have killed Jimmy. So they found out that he put over 2,000 miles on his rental car. And using that parameter, the detectives, like, draw a circle on a map Mm -hmm. of, like, the distance. And it went over 13 states. Holy shit. In the time that, like, when he said he disappeared, when the mother said he disappeared during his stay in Texas. So investigators had to check every missing person from, like, that time period of Key's travel to determine if any of them were actual, like, could have been victims. Right. He made requests that investigators had to comply with to get information. So, like, he wanted smoke breaks. He wanted the fucking New York Times delivered to his cell. He wanted access to the internet. But the biggest thing was that he insisted that they leave his nine siblings alone and they didn't interview them. And then he said his, they could talk to his mother for as long as she wanted to talk. But as soon as she said no, like they had to leave her alone. Oh my gosh. Keyes admits to at one time considering becoming a police officer because of how easy it would be to hunt for victims. Oh, great. Which is like, mm, didn't the Golden State Killer do that? Yeah, literally. I also wrote this down. It's not relevant. But in 2008, the FBI developed the Evil Minds Museum. And I was like, Alicia, you want to go on a road trip? Oh, fuck yeah. Where is it? It's in FBI. <laughs> uh, it's in DC, I think. Not that far. 
Yeah. It's not that bad. So because of his insistence on the death penalty, there was a court-ordered psychiatric evaluation. And, mm-hmm. But based on his behavior, investigators determined he was sane. He thought out the planning of his killings. He concealed his crimes and his true self. Like, they fully believed it. This is when we kind of get the history of Israel Keys. He's born in the tiny town of Cove, Utah. In 1978, his parents were Heidi Hawkins and John Jeffrey Keyes, who went by Jeff. Nice. And they were both Mormon. So when they were 21, 22, they got married. All of their children were home births delivered by Jeff because Mm -hmm. Jeff didn't trust doctors. He was an anti-vaxxer. None of the kids were vaccinated. Oh my gosh. Disgusting. And when they had their home births, none of their children had birth certificates, social security numbers, or attended any formal school. And they moved to Washington. They had money saved from jeff's repair work and heidi's babysitting oh my gosh stop to purchase a 160 acres in coville washington on top of a mountain living off the land so israel is the second oldest and they rented a dirty one-room cabin with no electricity no running water and no heat for seven years holy shit they wore him down clothes shoes that were too small that they actually permanently disfigured keys's toes which I just, I laughed at. That's like, awesome. Good. I love that. And with Jeff's absence for work, Israel kind of became the man of the house. He learned to cook. He learned to clean. He learned how to braid his sister's hair. Like he braided Samantha's hair. Oh, oh. No, that's, oh, I don't like that. So every two years, a new baby would come. The cabin got so crowded that in the, like, in the springtime, Israel and his some of his sisters had to sleep in a fucking tent outside. Oh my gosh. And in the winter, they would go to Palm Springs and Jeff's mother would let them sleep in her trailer. Oh my gosh, what the fuck? Not long after they left uh, Utah, the family, the parents quit Mormonism. And what do you think they started practicing instead? Um, another cult? They began to attend a white supremacist, anti-Semitic church called the Ark. Oh, I was going to guess Scientology. Third choice. Close up. Third choice. So by 12 years old, he was already breaking into homes and like stealing guns. And he was actually friends with the two brothers. Kehoe, I believe was their last name. One of them, they blamed each other for the Oklahoma City bombing. Like they were very bad kids. Israel was like friends with them growing up. So cool. Wait, I'm confused. What do you mean? How they didn't... Like when they were older. But the guy who did the Oklahoma City bombing is from uh, upstate. I'm looking it up. By me. Actually, I know someone who knew him. Really? Yeah. It's my, it's my like hometown murder that I want to desperately write into my favorite (laughs) murder about. Because I have a a family friend who got interviewed by the FBI because, um, what's his name? The Oklahoma City bomber called him a couple weeks before the, the bombing. And I asked him if he could get him these chemicals. Timothy McVeigh? Yeah, Timothy McVeigh. They were friends. With, they, like, worked with him for the Oklahoma City. Okay. Yeah. So I was like... They were, like... Yeah. The, his, the church, the Ark that they went to, like, believed, like, McVeigh was, like, a god. Like, he yikes. was... That's a big yikes. We don't claim him. Upstate does not claim him. Sometimes he would break into homes with his younger sister to either steal stuff or move things around and then watch the owners come home and freak out. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Not gonna lie. That's something I would do as a kid. <laughs> well, he stopped doing it because his sister was a big mouth. And she would tell people <laughs> they were doing it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And so he actually killed one of his sister's cats for getting into the garbage. And they believe like oh this was gosh. a stepping stone for him to... Of course. You got the three. He eventually tells his parents that he rejects organized religion and his dad disowns him. Cool. So they take all the kids minus Israel to Oregon. But 
Israel ends up following him, like a month, following them like a month later to Oregon. Fun. In 97, the family moves to Malone, New York, where the father buys like a farmhouse, eventually gives it to Israel, which is the farmhouse that he mentions visiting when he goes to Vermont. Mm -hmm. In 98, the family moves to Maine to live with the Amish and make honey. Oh, fun. So somehow he talks his way into the U.S. Army without, even without a birth certificate or a social security number. That's impressive. Yeah. So he was like, had a girlfriend back in Coville and he ends up getting engaged to her, but he's like always cheating on her with Tammy, who is the mother of his daughter. And they bonded over their traumatic childhoods and just general shitty lives up until that point. Got it. After eight weeks of being together, she gets pregnant and he doesn't want her to have, he wants her to have an abortion and she says no. So the (laughs) engagement eventually falls apart. He gets a job with Parks and Rec in Washington and moves in with Tammy. With Leslie Nope? Oh my god, Leslie Nope. Leslie Nope would have stopped this all. Doesn't deserve that. Well, so he, she was of mixed race, I'm not sure. But he moves onto the reservation with her. Mm-hmm. And he starts getting, a, like, getting drunk. He's branding himself with satanic symbols. Native Americans don't need that. Yeah. They already got their own problems to worry about. They don't need this psych this dude it's crazy in october of 2002 keys's daughter is born and then a month later jeff dies and then their relationship starts to get rocky and then they find out that tammy has ovarian cancer and she has to have a hysterectomy so in the summer of 2004 he moves out with their daughter and that's when he starts seeing kimberly but he continues to sleep with tammy Oh, fun. In 2006, Kimberly moves to Anchorage and asks Keys to go with her. So in 2007, he moves to Anchorage at the age of 29. But he's frequently uh, traveling up and down the West Coast before he finally settles with Tammy in... Oh, not Tammy, with Kimberly in Anchorage. So they ask him if he was capable of taking someone when he still lived in Coville. And he doesn't really answer, but they give the story of Julie Harris, who went missing in 1996. Mm-hmm. She was a... 12 years old, a double amputee, and more prosthetic feet. She was a gold medalist in downhill skiing at the Special Olympics. Sick. Yeah, good for her. At 12? Yeah. On March 3rd, she leaves home and is never seen again. Initial suspicion is on the mother's boyfriend. Fair. Who had been seen yelling at uh, Julie before she disappeared, but she was last seen with a man in a trench coat. Keys would have been around 18 years old at the time. A month later, her prosthetic feet were found on the banks of a river. I don't like that. In 97, her remains were found by children playing in the woods. Oh, no. Another little girl, Cassie Emerson, was 12 years old when she disappeared. Their trailer was destroyed and her mother's body died. Mother died in the fire. Cassie's remains were found the following year in the woods. Both cases are unsolved. Keys did not admit to either girl, but he admitted the first thing he burned was a trailer. Hmm. Interesting. The prosecutor kind of like fucks everything up and interrogates mm-hmm. Keys in secret and causes like a whole bunch of problems. Oh lord. And his behavior like gets reported to the federal government. The prosecutors? Yeah. Kind of give him a slap on the wrist and, like, nothing happens. The police in Vermont suspend the search for the courier's bodies, mm-hmm. who he had left in that farmhouse in the basement. Yeah. And he figured, like, whoever bought the property would just tear down the house because it was just, like, so falling apart. Piece of shit. Yeah. Right. So Keyes wouldn't give anything else up because he realizes that the FBI never would have tied him to the courier's murders if he hadn't confessed to it. Uh-huh. They start getting him talking about his guns, talking about his different uses for them, and he's 
his stalking his possible victims. He tells him about his grand plan, but refuses to give any more until the courier's bodies are found and he can see pictures of them. That's what he tells the prosecutor. That's sick. And the prosecutor and the team is pissed that they went behind his back, like destroying any trust that they had. Literally, you just fucked this whole case over. Complaints are made about him, but he stays in the interrogation room. Oh my gosh. They keep talking to Keyes about wanting his execution fast track. That sort of thing. The FBI throws full force into finding the couriers with no luck. And so they get him talking again and they find out that he committed a a bank robbery at a community bank in Tupper Lake, New York. That was him. Mm -hmm. And he gave this information to keep his family safe, like his daughter's identity out of the papers and things like that. The investigators tell him that's not enough to keep their bosses happy. And he admits that there is one body in new york Mm -hmm. he admits the body is buried and that's all he gives so they have to figure out who the victim is uh maybe they can get keys to kind of like doubt himself and how good his skills are at hiding people you know what i mean right at this point they officially believe kimberly has no idea what the fuck was happening right and they were able to figure out where he was traveling the most they list a bunch of states but it literally Uh sounds like half the fucking country so i just didn't write them down (laughs) yeah understandable and he crossed into ca- Canada several times and literally said to the detect- investigators as a joke, I don't know if you'd appreciate this or not, but he said, Canadians don't count. <laughs> oh, that's so fucking mean. Spoken <laughs> like a true upstater. Oh well, he's not gosh. even from here, but we don't claim him. We don't, but like that is an upstate attitude. <laughs> they also find out he met with a plastic surgeon in Mexico and they find out that he had lap band surgery and they're starting to wonder if he was like trying to hack like biohack his own body to become like the the absolute perfect serial killer so he didn't have to eat for hours on end he didn't have to you know yeah the fuck okay whatever so now this is the part where like they go into his military history but the accounts that they get from people on his personality are very conflicting some say he was mm-hmm. nonviolent, others say he was, some say he had a girlfriend, others say they never saw her. Yikes. What they all do agree on is that he was an awkward dude that was probably still a virgin. Oh man. Awesome. I was dying. It's so awesome. Awesome. in in his it. time in the military, he was stationed in Egypt for a point. He attacked a sex worker in Israel and he attacked so there's probably people international too, Yeah. other than Canada. Yeah. He attacked a Norwegian college student in Tel Aviv, and that's when he realized that he had to start doing it to complete strangers from then on. Because Got people it. he knew would identify him. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. And so he told he had one friend in the army that he like really identified with, and he told uh-huh. him his plan about kidnapping masses of people and when they asked the friend if he was surprised keys got arrested for kidnapping and murder his friend said he's surprised he got caught that he was smarter than that oh my lord yikes so now it's may 23rd of 2012 so she was kidnapped on february 1st keys attempts escape from a crowded courtroom on may 28th yeah 23rd 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 three days before my birthday (laughs) yeah so it took a taser to bring him down he like galloped over (sighs) this like everything like yeah and the guards, I would personally love to have a conversation with the people that were working in the prison when he was there. So the guards don't understand how dangerous he actually is. They've been giving him pencils and he's been whittling them down into lockpicks. Oh my gosh. Bell had gone to see him in prison alone and got locked in a room with him while the guard that was supposed to be stationed outside kind of just like wandered off. And Bell said he had to press his face to the glass and call out for someone while trying to remain calm. But he said he'd never been more scared in his life. 
holy shit they find out that he'd been bringing his lunch with him to court and bell warned them you have to unwrap his food and throw everything away you cannot let him have anything and they didn't listen to him and so he used a pencil lock pick that he had made to unlock his cuffs and the cellophane that his sandwich was wrapped in to make it look like his leg cuffs were still tied together and that's how he like escaped oh my gosh holy shit so they moved his cell to the first floor in direct view of the guard's desk but you couldn't like actually see into his uh-huh. cell if you were sitting down but they didn't think that was too big of a deal yeah. They took away sneakers right. and his laces so he could only wear uh, slippers and no more cellophane. Shit. So they, they identified 10 missing persons that fit his timeline in New York without his help and they weren't even trying to punish him for escaping. <laughs> That's awesome. So Keys explained he did it because nothing is moving quickly enough and he threatened suicide if he didn't get a quick enough execution date or an agreement not to prosecute for the other bodies so he's getting he was given a letter from the federal prosecutor in vermont stating that they will not give his name out to the press and won't press charges for the courier murders Uh oh i don't know why my voice just cracked like that um (laughs) but he gives them bodies in washington state so he says four bodies two on each side of the state the first two happened between 2002 2005 and the other two were sometime in the summer or fall of 2006 2005 maybe spring of 2006 he disposed of one maybe two bodies in lake crest he took a male female pair and a female female pair he didn't say their relationship to each other or anything else about what happened to them his information appeared to be slightly scattered and unspecific so they were wondering if he was like swapping information about like his victims to like try and throw them off yeah so nelson looked into his phone records and found that he was in close proximity to a double murder on july 11th of 2006 four people Mm -hmm. went into the remote pinnacle lake trail in mount baker national park i'm not gonna even try to say the other name for that um one pair was a mother daughter another was a husband wife mm-hmm. and they met at like the this y-shaped fork and the husband and wife went right towards bear lake and the mother daughter went left towards pinnacle lake mm-hmm. at 2 30 p.m when the couple find the mother and daughter again and they were posed like right off the trail and they were both dead the mother Shit. was mary cooper she was 56 and the daughter was suzanne stoudin 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 and she was 27 at that Shit. point parks staff couldn't even tell how they'd been killed they had both been shot in the head with the 22 and they couldn't tell if it was at close range or with a sniper and keys's cell phone record put him in the area at the time of the attack the time around when the murders occurred nelson nelson had also found that keys's cell phone had gone dark which was a sign that he took his battery out and he was about Mm -hmm. to do something right they searched his cell while he wasn't there and found that he had wrote to his brother that they can't convict a dead man in a document he identifies six victims three of which the police identified as samantha and the couriers they also found a noose made out of bed sheets it was clear that he had suicide plans bell's warning went unheeded they were letting him shave with a fucking razor are these people oh my god and all the head of the prison did was put a sign on his door that said do not give this man a razor blade i'm fucking fuming oh my lord they brought him an an electric razor that he was supposed to use with supervision but that clearly didn't happen clearly and when bell talked to the head of the prison all he said was that all he can do is post the signs if the guards don't read it there's nothing i can do are you oh my lord so i said i'd like to add him to the list of people i'd love to slap as well as the (laughs) prosecutor and the bank manager from humble (laughs) so the team at this point is being broken up this is like october at this point of the same of 2012 Mm -hmm. pain is being taken off the case and he's he's going to be phased out by october Got it. Keys exploits their desperation to trade his slippers for sneakers and getting his newspapers again. (laughs) On July 18th, they sit down and tell Keys that they're calling off the landfill search for the couriers and that Vermont wanted to renege on their deal about not releasing his name to the press and he was pissed. (laughs) 
Two okay. years later, NBC names Keys as, like, the courier's murderer. Yeah. And Keys is super duper pissed. <laughs> so, Payne kind of took Keys at his word that if they found another victim without his help, he would confess. Payne straight Googled missing persons Indiana, and there was a missing persons case of it. Uh-huh. In June of 2011, Lauren Spear went missing, went out for drinks, and disappeared. Nelson was able to put Keys driving through three different toll booths in Indiana that night. So, he talks about the first time he assaulted a young girl. He had grabbed her off an inner tube in Oregon and taken her to like a beat like you know the shack bathrooms that they have on beaches and things like that right he had taken her in there they suspect he said she was between the ages of 14 and 18 but they suspect that she was most likely a child he sexually assaults her but she doesn't show any real fear during the attack and that's something he needs to like get off on what he's doing and he right. said for years he regretted not killing the girl, so he doesn't make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. So Bell is particularly interested in Florida, who has their own serial killer, the Boca Killer. Three women die after being abducted. Well, sorry, two women die after being abducted from a mall parking lot. One of the women, who only goes by Jane Doe, survives. Her and her do- her her son survive. Um, but mm-hmm. the person has the same MO as Keys. He abducts them, takes them to a an ATM gets their money and then mm-hmm. two of the women die. That's why he thinks that they might have that connection to Keys. Right. Keys stops talking for about three months at this point and they believe they have identified the body in New York. So in late October, Keys comes in for an interrogation and they were at the stage where they were like trying to scare him. Yeah. But he would just laugh in their faces. Oh man. They were fairly sure that Deborah Feldman was the body in New York. She was a drug addict and sex worker. She had gone missing in New Jersey on April 8th. They showed her picture before and based on his reaction to it they took it to mean as like he killed her mm-hmm. um and her name was on his computer but keys said he wouldn't talk about it but they keep pushing and they still won't talk about it by the end of the month they have two fbi investigators that come up to anchorage to kind of prod his ego to try and get him to talk right and they bring up julie harris he doesn't admit to it but and seems unfazed by it they ask him if it was true that he's never killed in a national park and mm-hmm. he says no but back in july he had told agents one of his victims was found but the death was presumed accidental mm-hmm Bell suspects that it was like a hiker or someone who was found in like a body of water of some kind and that the victim mm-hmm. was in Crescent Lake because he right. had a boat that he would use to, to dispose of the bodies. Right. So sometime after 10 o'clock on the night of December 1st, 2012, Keith commits suicide. He uses a razor blade and a noose. Oh my gosh. Twelve skulls were drawn on the wall in his blood. The words, we are one, written underneath them. He left a single clue for clue for the team the word belize was written in his blood Payne believes that his victim count is 11 but the other team members believe that the number of people he's killed could be way higher than that yeah and this is the epilogue so this is thoughts that the author presents that i 100 percent agree with and we have to consider that keys was successful because he was a white man he traveled with one-way tickets all the time and was never clocked for it like never put on anyone's radar he brought guns onto planes when he traveled and he would just break them apart and put them on his carry-on. And he was never once questioned by TSA. Because TSA sucks. They miss so much shit. I've gone through TSA with pepper spray. <laughs> really? Because I almost had to throw out my $35 setting spray in London because it was over the fucking ounce limit. Yeah. No, yeah, because they'll hassle you about that. But yet I got through TSA to New York with pepper spray in my purse. I did it by accident. I forgot it was in there. I carried pepper spray on me all the time. 
yeah, didn't catch it. Because this case became so publicized, a lot of people have come forward saying that they have encountered Keyes in one way or another. Um, and if he was telling the truth about the victims in Crescent Lake, scientists mm-hmm. believe the remains that were left there would still be there because it's fresh water and there's very little aquatic life in the lake decomposition would be very low right and he has not been ruled out in the cases of julie harris or cassie emerson and her mother mm-hmm. on january third uh, january 9th 2013 tammy told the fbi that in 2000 a neighbor's husband had gone missing on a hike and she hadn't ke- seen keys that day or night which now realize she realizes is weird it's real right suspect <laughs> suspect his body was found and the death later ruled an accident suspicious well he had said one of his victims had been found but it had been ruled an accident closed door hearing at the uh for the anchorage correctional complex about procedural failures happened but very little was released and they did not find his body until the next morning there are two factors that some people believe one or more people moved him from his suicide cell and gave him the razor the anchorage correctional complex the alaska department of corrections and the state's attorney's office are all extremely corrupt that in 2016 you'll love this part in 2016 they had advised prisons not to keep records and not to document the cause and circumstance of inmate death what the fuck in 2018 it came out it goes all the way to the top it goes all the way to the top man it goes all the way to you can't trust the fucking government um in 2018 you can't it came out that so like the rooms that attorneys and inmates use to have their private conversations it turns out those rooms had been wired to listen in on key's conversations with his attorney and have stayed wired ever since illegally recording confidential meetings between attorneys and the inmates the prison has kept everything regarding keys's suicide a secret the security camera footage the medical examiner's report none of that's been released that's pretty suspect a report released by the department of corrections gave a play-by-play of the night that he died one officer worked the entire night and didn't see anything out of the ordinary when they switched guards uh the second the new one came in and noticed blood in keys's cell and found the body so like either that cop is fucking blind or wasn't doing his job uh the body was in rigor mortis when he was found so dead for at least three to four hours a pencil was involved in his death of course i'm not gonna give much detail on how please don't (laughs) um he left behind a multi-page suicide note of course about forty-five thousand pages about israel keys has yet to be released by the fbi with claims of national security he manipulated the fbi for his own entertainment until he was done playing the game he killed himself as a reminder that he was the one in control and that his case would never be closed hate that and that is the story of the american predator the hunt for the most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century mind blown it was such a dark read but it was written so well like i commend maureen callahan for writing it the way that she did well that is the case of israel keys thank you for if you're sticking around if you've stuck around this long because this is gonna be a long one thank you and if you liked the length of this one let us know if you hated the length of this one let us know yeah i don't know how to edit (laughs) i know how to edit but i don't have self-control and i'm lazy and that's not gonna happen let us know if you if you would prefer longer or if you liked like our shorter episodes because we really want this to be something that everybody enjoys yeah give us feedback let us know if there's anything you would like to hear yes 
please drop any book recommendations in your reviews. We'd be happy to give them a read. Yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at HBI Cheska and on Instagram at Francesca Hope. And where can they find you? You can find me on Goodreads as Alicia Reads 13. And we'll see you for the next one. Bye.